<laughs> All right. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to go one more. One more five. And here we go. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Scenes with Ben. Um, and, you know, I... I'm always excited about having the behind the scenes with Dr. Rogers. Um, not only is, is, uh, he, my dad, but, but we've also been working together for, uh, six or seven years uh, now. And, and I had some really, you know, I, I really wanted to talk with him today about, um, you know, we have this new thing, uh, that we're really, uh, focusing a lot on, um, called, um, outside the box. And, uh, one thing about performance medicine that, I think is is most interesting is this idea of thinking outside the box in regards to the way uh, we treat patients, the way we look at things. And and Dr. Rogers, I, I want just to start this conversation off by by asking, when did you start thinking outside the box as a physician? Probably when I got my own business. I went out on my own. I kind of got out of... Um, mainstream medicine, corporate medicine, and established my own practice uh, after deciding that I wanted to practice the way I like to practice without interference from insurance companies and managers and EMRs and things like that so that I could be better for my patients. Um, can, you t- can you talk a little bit about, you know, from a physician standpoint, from a provider standpoint, you know, what it's like working inside of the system. Because um, we, we, we talk a lot about, you know, the way we're able to do things outside of the grid. Um, tell us a little bit what it's like working inside of a big system and some of the, the, the hoops you have to have to hurdle. Well, that's right. It is a system. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, medicine should be between the patient and doctor that's where decisions are made and that's where the the majority of the time should be focused on uh, for better care um, especially with the primary care you know because there's so many facets of that and so many things you need to pick up on and uh, to deliver total health care but the systems are, are handy they handicap the physician and increasingly so with insurance companies and um, this corporate medicine. I mean, it's like, with, for example, when you go to your primary care doc, I mean, 99% of them are going to be on an EMR system, electronic medical record. They're going to be over in the corner of the room typing in things uh, that you're, you may or may not be saying. And what the doctor is doing is really trying to create a note to substantiate what was going on between the two of you. And the ultimate purpose of that really is to uh, find a code or more than one code to be able to substantiate the level of visit so that they will get paid by an insurance company. So it seems like to me that's the wrong thing to do. Um, It's crazy the way it is. I mean, you have to say somebody comes in with a cold and, a sinus infection and the doctor has to search for a five or six digit code um, detailing 
where that sinus infection was. Was it located in the frontal sinuses or the maxillary sinuses or the deep ethmoid sinuses? Um, so, you know, in my opinion, you have a sinus infection. You need treatment. You want treatment. Let's treat it, and that's it. I don't know why you'd have to carry it out to a six-digit code um, for insurance purposes. Really, in my opinion, the reason for that's because if you get it wrong and the when it comes to payment, if that insurance company doesn't like this four-page note you've generated uh, trying to get reimbursement, if they don't like it, if, they, if it's off or something, um, they can deny your payment. And then you'll have to resubmit the whole thing trying to get it right for them. When, you know, what's it, what does it matter whether it was a frontal or a maxillary? You're treating them for a sinus infection. So it's just another way for the insurance company um, to deny payment or, you know, supposedly they're trying to record and get a list of where all these sinus infections are. You know, who cares? They're coming in for a sinus infection. They want treatment. You want to treat your patient, et cetera. So when it gets real complex is when you're coming in for other things like depression or anxiety, or if you've got, if you're tired, um, you know, you're pursuing a workup for this. So it's just a game that the doctors have been forced to play to the detriment of both the doctors and the patient. Um, in other words, the doctor's working for the insurance company, not the patient, because they have to get paid for it. And to get paid for it becomes a long and arduous game that they have to play. And doctors are by nature, they're not computer technicians. They're doctors. They interact with patients. And... Um, so it really takes away from it. And then you have administrators who are, you know, tasking you with different tasks to take care of the patient. And for example, say I treated somebody for a sinus infection and two days later they phone the group and they've come down with a yeast infection because of the antibiotic you gave them. So, the person that they're calling is by computer tasking that to another centralized patient who is tasking that note to your nurse who then tasked it to you, all computer driven. So you have to read that note along with about 150, 200 other notes that day that have come into your system. And so I have to task, um, let's give that patient a, uh, three-day course of diflucan for the fungal infection they developed. So the nurse has to task it back to somebody who's going to call that in, who then task it to a, uh, another call-in place. So you've, you've gone through about eight to ten steps when all I do is tell my nurse, hey, Mrs. Smith has a yeast infection. Call her in three days of diflucan. Easy. So it just puts an onerous load and burden on the patient or on the on the doctor, and that's kind of why they're burning out on practicing medicine. That's not what they signed up for. Um, yeah, so. it, it's it's really interesting, you know, because you know, when, when, as you're talking, it's very easy to see that the insurance companies are not incentivized to um, to really. They're incentivized to deny the payment. Essentially, they're right. not really wanting to to pay the group or the physician. Uh, so you know they're setting up these 
um, systems in this game that's built around denial. Um, so then, right, because they believe it or not, they get paid more for denials. So they get bonus based on how many denials they do. So it's kind of wrong. So what, you know, for the listeners out there who, you know, obviously we've all had experiences with, you know, traditional medical practices. What does that mean for them? Like what should they look out for? Um, you know, we, it's very clear that this is not in the best interest of the, the doctor or the provider. Um, what does it mean for the patient and what should they be on the lookout for um, when, you know, choosing uh, where to go or, cause all, I mean, no matter what, it, not everybody can be a cash only practice and, and patients are going to go to um, places that take insurance, you know? So right. what's your, what's your um, advice to well, that? The advice to that's really just make sure that your doctor is listening to you. It all boils down to listen. Are they listening to you and hearing you? Are they preoccupied with what's going on with their computer or generating eight page, an eight page note that absolutely means nothing except, Hey, I treated a sinus infection. So, um, and you get that, you know, as a primary care doc, you see that too with the specialist, because say I make a referral to somebody, to a general surgeon or to a gastroenterologist. And I'm concerned that that, you know, that patient has gallstones and, you know, um, I don't need an eight page report going through whether or not they're suicidal or whatever. I already know that stuff. All I want to know is you confirm the diagnosis of cholecystitis. Or are you going to take their gallbladder out? What needs to be done? Bottom line stuff, cut through all the BS you have to do. And, and the reason for the long expanded note is because they want, they're trying to dig more money out of the insurance companies who are already paying them like 30 cents on the dollar. So that's kind of why I like the cash based practice. When I, you know, developed performance medicine 16 years ago, I kind of threw out everything I didn't like about medical practice. And, um, it turned out it's a much better way to practice because and it was at the perfect time because everybody's deductible is going up. It was really more affordable to see me than it was to go through all the hoops and then because the doctors have to generate a charge that's way higher than what they expect to be paid. But set, what if your deductible is high like it is now? You're going to bear the full fruit of that charge until you meet your five, $6,000 deductible, unless you just got some kind of incredible insurance, which is rare these days. Um, so you're going to end up paying more anyway for less. So uh, there's a few doctors that can do this. There's not a lot of them can't do it because they're just they're, they're just scared to do it. You know, well, so be part of the system. I, I want to ask two questions. Can a doctor within the system can they think outside the box? Is that even is that it seems like it's very difficult to do um, given given you know all of the like, like we talked the hoops they have to go through. Can they think outside the box within a traditional setting? I suppose you could think outside the box as far as, you know, bringing alternative medicine into your practice, um, spending more time with the patient. The one, the way I do it allows me to spend a lot more time with the patient. Before that, I was seeing 40, 50 patients a day, you know, and you only have about seven minutes. A lot of times that's not enough time. 
you know, you really need to be able to spend more time with the patient. So it definitely allows for that. So it's kind of hard for the doctor to do that. And then you have, you know, you may have in your large group administrators who are pushing you to see more patients because of the bottom line or to run more tests that may generate uh, ancillary income. So in my practice, I don't have any incentive to run unnecessary tests and that so on and so forth. You know, if you're a good doctor, you know what needs worked up and what doesn't, you know, so you're thinking in the back of your mind is how expensive is this going to be for the patient? So, uh, and a lot of people are, you know, even running cash um, x-rays now and they're thinking ahead. And they're, they're doing a cash price on a lot of stuff. So kudos to the, the groups that are doing that uh, and competing with the larger systems. I like the hospital systems. Um, yeah, I, I really think that people, because of the high deductible plan, and really, you know, because of you know what we've all been through the the past year, um, I think people are are craving transparency in terms of you know what's being run on them, what tests is being run, and why, uh, what medications am I being put on, and why, and and I think you you know when I think about the traditional system it seems very difficult to do that. Um, is that kind of where your head's at right now? And then I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what's happened with the pandemic and what that's exposed from a healthcare system standpoint. And it's exposed a whole lot, but, um, yeah, to your first question, um, you know, it seems like, um, Half my time now is spent getting people off of medications that they never needed uh, for long term. What happens with the system, say you have five, seven minutes to spend with a patient and you're turfing them off to a specialist because you're worried about getting sued or whatever. So they go to a specialist and they get on a medicine by the specialist and they're on it forever because they don't, they're not seeing a specialist back that's on their list. They just figure, well, it helped me. I'm supposed to take this omeprazole the rest of my life. So I see that all the time and, you know, they're not really getting to the root of the problem because they don't have time to focus on it. Why do you have that heartburn in the first place? You know, what are you eating? These are things that most doctors don't have time or really knowledge about nutrition to be able to spend the time getting to the root of it. And um, it's really evident when you send people to a lot of specialists, especially like the gastroenterologist, they're great at running scopes and things, but they're not good at nutrition and getting to the root cause of the problem. They're great at putting you on a medicine that's going to work temporarily um, and, and great at seeing if you've got colon cancer and ulcer in your stomach. But what they're not good at, uh, because it's not reimbursable, it's, there's no money in it, is sitting down with you and talking about why you have that in the first place. So half my time is spent getting people off medication and that they've been put on years ago that they don't need. And so the system leads to over testing and over treating, in my opinion. So, and as to the second part of your question, what has the COVID crisis brought out? It's really, you know, kind of exaggerated the problem. It's, it's bringing it out because when you work for a big system, for, for example, COVID, the big systems won't allow you to think outside the box. COVID is a treatable illness if you treat early. And there's a lot of ways you can really jump in there and prevent them from getting very sick from it. But because of 
the system, um, you know, there are not enough double-blinded placebo-controlled trials that say a medicine like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin works, which we know it does. There's plenty of good studies out there. Um, but, again, there's no money in it because um, it's inexpensive. It's repurposed medicine that we've had the whole time, and there's no money in it. So if you're part of a large system, and I've seen this multiple times because it turns out I'm one of the few people that are willing to treat COVID and because I'm independent, you know, I'm only caring about the patient welfare. The, the, the people in the big boxes are worried that their bosses say, you can't use hydroxychloroquine. We're going to get in trouble for that. Um, so it's really interesting what's happened there. Um, it's not become uh, patient focused. So they, they can't think of, you know, get their, their bosses who are not medical people mad at them. Uh, some of them even had to sign an oath that they wouldn't use certain medications during COVID medicines that we know work. Um, you know, so it, it's been very interesting. It's all about control, really. They want to control what you, you do. And what's behind that, who knows? You know, follow the money, I guess. But, um, again, I think we need to make medicine a little simpler and, you know, more patient-focused and put the hands, uh, put back in the hands the control between the doctor and the patient mutual decision-making. That's why you come to the doctor in the first place. So, yeah, the, the COVID thing's been an unbelievable mess um, with the system. And I, I do blame the system on this, all the way from the AMA to Fauci to, you know, the corporate people that are, for whatever reason, reasoning, they're really hurting people. So, um, one thing, you know, I want to, I want to ask you about the, the medication thing. Cause I, I know that you see that a ton. Is it, is it safer on the physician's end to say you only have seven, seven minutes to put you on as much, as much as possible from a kind of, you know, we call it the CYA, the cover your ass sort of standpoint. Um, is that, is that why that's happening? Is yeah, a lot of doctors have been forced into practicing what I call defensive medicine. They don't want to get sued. They want to keep the system happy. Um, so, yeah, it's really a chicken way out, I think. You know, you, you didn't get into medicine for, to do this. Um, so, you know, what I've done with a cash-based practice without having to do EMRs or codes or placate insurance companies or hospital executives it's been great for me. You know, it's been really great. I've enjoyed it. Um, it's really, it's changed three things. Number one, it's forced me to be a much better doctor than the next guy who takes insurance. I have to be better. Um, two, what's happened is I get a, really a kind of a better patient because they really, if they're paying me, they expect more. They're interested in their health. They don't want just another pill. They want to find out the cause of their problem so that they don't have to be on more medications. Um, so it's just brought me a, a lot more happiness in my practice. I do a better job. I, I really am able to 
fulfill the reason I got into medicine anyway, which is helping people out. And, you know, especially at my age, you know, that's, that's the goal is to use your knowledge that you've gained through all these years to maybe help the quality of somebody else's life. That's a real gratification in it. And so I don't burn out on it. It actually energizes me. Um, so um, I encourage all those providers, whether it's doctors, mid-levels, whatever, to think about doing this type of practice. Um, you know, I know it's uh, kind of outside the box, as you say, but it really allows you a lot more freedom. You become much better, much more happier. Um, uh, well, so that's, that's why I did it. So as a patient, should I be seeking out a cash-only practice? You know, with the way we're talking, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, man, it, you know, maybe I shouldn't be going to that you know, traditional primary care office or whatever. And, and I don't think we're saying that. So can you kind of advise us on you know, when we should seek out a, a, a doctor or a mid-level or a practice that is off the grid? And, and when can we feel comfortable going to a place that is in the system? So what are we, as patients, what are we, with this new knowledge, you know, because it's been exposed in, in many different ways, I think, what do we do now? How do we make those decisions? Well, you know, I used to tell people that, well, if, if you have insurance and you need to be tied into a particular system in network, maybe you should get a primary care doctor that's tied into the system. But that's kind of a moot point now anyway, because there's no family doc or primary care doc are hardly any that does hospital work anyway. So if you have a serious illness where you have to go to the hospital, it's not going to be your family doc taking care of you. So, you know, I'm not saying you can't go inside the system and get good care. I'm not saying that. Um, what I'm saying is get a doctor that will listen to you and work with you on the reason why you're sick or that you feel bad. You can work within the system with that if you find the right provider. It's just a lot easier for me because I have more time, probably more knowledge because I have more time to read and study up on uh, the root cause of illness. Functional integrated medicine is what we call it. I actually went back and did a fellowship in this. So I'm board certified in this, which gives me a certain level of confidence that um, I know what I'm doing. So I encourage other providers to go seek this knowledge out. And it's just very hard within the system to do something like this. Um, so, and I think you're going to get kind of a two tiered system, really, you know, unfortunately, but, um, you know, for the people that really want to seek out causes and reasons and especially for more complex patients that aren't getting answers, um, you know, again, the best doctoring, in my opinion, is to take care of yourself, Yep. you know, is, is to learn how to take care of yourself. I always encourage people to do your research on this medicine or, you know, this way of eating or sleep or what well, I focus on the fundamentals. And again, I take care of a lot of people that are obese. I mean, I try to get to the root cause of the problem. The reason there's so much diabetes out there is because 70% of Americans are, are overweight or obese. So if you can solve that problem, then, uh, you can you can get off a lot of those medicines and prevent a lot of other problems that are coming down the line. And we can almost see it happening. If you've been in medicine as long as I have, what's going to happen? You almost predict it. 
what will happen with that patient. They're 30 years old, 50 pounds overweight. Their blood sugars are going up. Their blood pressure is going up. You can kind of predict when they're 50 what they're going to be like. And they're going to be on a long string of medicines. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be arthritic. Can't move very well. Um, sets them up for chronic disease and even cancer and even Alzheimer's. You know, Alzheimer's has been termed or coined type 3 diabetes. Um, so what I want to do is, is help those people age better, whether it be somebody 30 years old or somebody 65, 66 years old. Um, how to feel great their entire lifespan, which I call health span. Uh, so um, it's just a little different way of doing things, and I'm encouraging patients to seek out that kind of care, do your own studying, and I'm encouraging doctors to um, pursue this line of medicine if they can, uh, which they can. Do you think that integrative medicine will be the new primary care in the next decade? Like, do you think that's the way we're going? Do you think it's just going to be integrative medicine is primary care? Treating root causes is primary care now? I hope so. I mean, that's the right way to do it. Whether that'll come to fruition or not, I don't know. You know, I think I think we're kind of realizing what the root causes of a lot of problems are, like obesity is mm-hmm. the root cause of. I firmly believe that, you know, if our average weight, male and female, were what it was back in 1960, that there would be no healthcare crisis at all. Um, we wouldn't have to, you know, spend all this ridiculous amount of money in our national health care system. Um, well, and, and, and so much of that is, and I think you've talked about it, is some of the environmental changes that have happened since the 60s. And, and you said something recently in, in one, of your, one of your blog posts about, you know, it's kind of difficult to stay healthy these days. You have to know what you're doing and you have to be intentional about it um, because of you know, some of the modern day things that we have to deal with in terms of, you know, our food, uh, because everything has become industrialized in a way, you know, it kind of puts a little more, um, you have to be intentional about it. You can't just, you know, eat the, you know, what's out there because what's out there and what's available isn't always the best thing when in the sixties, maybe it was fine. Right. I mean, we definitely live in a lot more toxic world. Uh, and it starts with the food that we eat. I mean, back in the 60s, there was no high fructose corn syrup. They didn't put preservatives in everything and pesticides and hormones. And it's become mass produced. The food industry, you know, can kind of get a little corrupt. And um, they've got a huge lobby, you know, I mean, you know, calling any kind of cereal heart healthy is just wrong. Um, you know, so we've been we've been kind of misled down the down the road, starting a long time ago when we put everybody on a low fat diet. What happened? About seventy percent of us got fat. It's not about the fats; it's about the carbs. Um, so, but you have to know you have to know the stuff. I mean. Even stress-wise, we live. Stress is a toxin. We live in a lot more stressful world than we used to, and the quality of life is not getting better. It's getting worse. I think for the last two generations, the last two years, you can expect your parents to live longer than you, which is the first time in history. Um, so, which is interesting. Even, 
because we have so we have advanced so much in in medicine now with the things that are available and and yet but but it kind of takes the knowledge to know that these things are available to us and what they do so they're available but we gotta we gotta have the know-how to to know to use that right you know so it's kind of interesting you gotta have knowledge and there's a lot of misinformation out there about a lot of things and so you need to you need to do your study. And uh, I like to think of myself as, a, as the, a blend between traditional medicine and alternative medicine. A lot of things work, you know, and the problem is you can get too far on either side and not use your common sense about certain things. So, um, you know, you mentioned recently that, you know, what primary care docs used to do is basically treat infections and, Anti- the the invention of antibiotics basically um, solved a huge you know healthcare problem in, in from you know what infections were doing. Do you see you know moving forward? What do you think the antibiotic of the future is in terms of um, having that sort of impact on on people's health? Because you know antibiotics are such a good thing; they've saved a ton of lives and. You know, and then that probably sent us down the road of over-medicating in ways. Do you think, like, any any sort of um, genetic testing or uh, anything like that is going to have an impact the way antibiotics had an impact, you know, however long um, ago? To prolong life, uh, yeah. Uh, the genetic testing, there's all kinds of cool stuff that medicine's capable of doing now. They can operate in utero on a fetus heart. So, I mean, if you can do that, you can do a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, now that we can map out the, map out the whole entire human genome, we can predict more, you know, which medicines you may be responsive to, what's more likely to have, happen to you. And, but um, I think the future, you know, is not in antibiotics. It's really in gut health. Hmm. You know, that's something that uh, I look a lot at is the health of your gut because, as you know, as we found out with this COVID thing, it's all about your immune system. 70% of your immune system is located in your gut. That, you know, microbiome, which means the mix of bacteria in your gut is so important. 99% of your DNA in your body is not your DNA. It's bacterial DNA. Only 1% is your DNA. So if you don't get the right balance and treat that gut bacteria good, then you're going to have a whole host of problems, including all these autoimmune diseases that everybody's getting. Um, so a lot of it, I think, is going to boil down to gut health, um, you know, taking the right probiotics, eating the right kind of foods. Um, and I think that's maybe the biggest thing we need to focus on. Um, and, that, and that kind of falls in line with staying lean, Um if, if am I right there? Because I know, you know, much of your you know philosophy has been around this you know idea of if if I can help somebody lose weight, I can I can solve you know eighty percent of the problem. Right. Does, yeah. Do they kind of are those connected? Yeah, I mean, the human body is not made to be fat. That goes against nature. We're not we're not made to eat all the time. Um, we eat too much. Then the quality of the food is just horrible. 
it's interesting because talking about, you know, genetics and, and all that and gut microbiome, um, they've done a lot of studies that have proven that if you take um, the microbiome, in other words, if you do a stool transplant between a obese person and a skinny person, if you put the skinny person's stool, you trans do a fecal transplant into an obese person, that obese person will get lean and vice versa. They've done it and they've studied and it's true. So that, that gut microbiome has a lot to do with how you're going to turn out. So think about your gut. If you're not, if your gut's not working right, you're not, you're not healthy. And, um, and you can change your gut. Definitely change your gut by what you eat, stress levels, stress affects the gut. Um, your probiotic, your prebiotic. Um, so many people have food allergies and food sensitivities. We do a lot of testing with that. Um, you know, or, and then, again, that's part of getting to the root of the problem. It's not just throwing another stomach pill on you like an acid reducer that can ca cause all kinds of problems down the line. Because it's a lot easier just to stick you on that. Oh, your heartburn's gone. Great. Let's keep you on this medicine forever. Not knowing that it can increase your chances of um, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, diabetes, C. diff gut infections. You know, all this bad stuff that can happen. Plus, you're not going to absorb your minerals and vitamins. You're you're not going to really digest your food, so um, you need to look at the gut. That's what I think the, the start of the future is. And that you know that I I completely agree. And and one thing that's interesting you know, when you mentioned you know putting someone on a on a stomach pill is the idea of of pay for performance um, from an insurance standpoint, where the the physician or the practice is incentivized to get numbers to a certain place and how medications can quickly get somebody there. Do you like, do you have a problem with that? Is that because it seems like a good idea um, for, from a reimbursement standpoint, getting back it's, into the, the insurance it's a model. Terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Unfortunately, a lot of primary care docs now are paid bonuses based on what their patient's numbers look like. So, Say their cholesterol's 230, which means nothing, which absolutely means nothing as far as your health goes. But somehow they've gotten this idea that the lower your cholesterol is, the healthier, but it's really not true at all. Um, so doctors are getting paid by getting those numbers lower. So they're going to slap you on a statin medication, which has all kinds of problems. I mean, some people may need them if they have known heart disease. I use some of them very discriminately, but just to slap everybody on them is terrible because they have a ton of side effects. They can kill you. So, you know, but it's, it's a shame that doctors are paid based on how low those numbers look like. Your, the ones they look at are your, um, your cholesterol, which absolutely has nothing to do with heart disease when you look at it. At least total cholesterol doesn't. Um, they look at your blood pressure, which is important, but... Um, if you're putting somebody on three medications to make sure their blood pressure is low enough, those patients feel terrible. You, know, you need to find out why their blood pressure is high and what their lifestyle is like. And then your average sugar number. So if your average sugar number is, you know, your hemoglobin A1C is over a certain level, they're going to put you on a lot of medications to keep your sugars down. In the meantime, they don't even look at what you eat. They don't care. They just want those numbers looking better so they can get paid more 
And they actually think they're doing you a favor by getting those numbers look, looked at. I mean, look at some of the commercials we see on TV now where um, people are dancing around because they've used a certain statin medication and they think, I'm heart healthy now. And yet somebody that weighs about 250 pounds dancing around um, thinking they're healthy, they're not. They're, they're still fat. You know, they're, they're not going to live any longer. Their life's going to be miserable because they're fat. Um, and so, I mean, some of the, the advertising, another thing I think is wrong with the system is, is advertising these drugs on TV. I mean, your average person, um, does not know medicine. And for example, there's one I see all the time with there, there's a commercial on touting a, a lung cancer chemotherapeutic drug or biologic. And, um, it comes on and says, do you have uh, small cell cancer of the lung? If so, you know, you need to think about taking so-and-so medication. I won't say it. But, um, well, if you're watching TV, how many people do you think just happen to have small cell lung cancer and their doctor doesn't know about this medication? You're in trouble if you have to go tell your doctor what to use for your lung cancer. And yet they spend billions of dollars on these advertisements. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, I, I wonder what for, you know, because I, I completely agree. Like who are you trying? Is that, is it really money? It's money. It's all money driven, you know? Um, so. Yeah. I, I, we, 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 we've talked quite a bit about the, about the advertisements we see for these medications that you, know, you just wonder like, why, you know, why, is the patient really going to go into their doctor and say, Hey, I saw this ad, you know, at the Super Bowl for such and such. Should we try that? Then, yeah. you know, yeah, I, and your doctor's going, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally insane. It really it's actually funny. It's so insane. Um, you know, one question I want to end with is, um, you've had, you know, you, you kind of went outside the grid, 13, 15 years ago with performance medicine, um, not accepting insurance, um, at a time when that was really, really cavalier. And um, what has been the biggest surprise to you over the last 13, 15 years? What's something that you didn't expect um, when deciding to well, go cash I, on? I really, I really didn't expect, expect to be so successful with it, to be honest with you. I just wanted to do it for my own personal gratification and lifestyle and you know i thought i was doing the right thing i was just so burned out with the system and the system's gotten a lot worse since i've done this believe me so i'm so happy that i did it and i'm so surprised at all the patients that that want to come see me and try to figure out what the root cause of the problem is you know it's just it's just been amazing uh to me what's happened so i encourage patients to seek out things like this and doctors to try to transition their practice and get control of their own way they treat patients. You know, the doctors are the one with the education and the knowledge and experience, you know, not the hospital administrators and these insurance clerks sitting over there telling you what to do. So it's been just great thing for me. You know, it's, I'm really glad I became a doctor for that. Yeah, I know when my, my dad, who was a physician, 
started out that there was no such thing as insurance. And there were better doctors back then, I think, in my opinion, than the old timers. Yeah, that's you really hit on something um, really important there that, that honestly I did I didn't know I didn't know uh, that was the biggest surprise and and what that tells me is is you really you started performance medicine you got off the grid for you and you know what's going to make you happy and 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 fulfilled in the way that you're treating people and what I don't think a lot of people realize is that. Success often follows that, you know, if you go into something for the money or something like that, which it kind of feels like traditional medicine is that way. They're doing a lot of things from a you know financial standpoint. And it seems to me that the smartest thing you did was you you did this for you and the way that you wanted to practice uh, it, you certainly weren't following the dollar, you know, which is, which is interesting in that, um, that's what success tends to follow is when you do something not for the money. Can you, right. it's, it's odd that that's what's happened. You know, you're going to be more successful if you do it for the right reasons, but, um, it's just interesting. I mean, why would a young doctor or resident want to go into primary care nowadays there's no money in really talking to patients and trying to find out there's there's a lot more money three times as much to you know to go run a catheter up somebody or you know do procedures and i'm not cutting those specialties down that we need them they're great but why would you brightest young uh medical students want to pursue something like primary care which in my opinion is the bedrock and the basis of medical care is your family doc. Who you're going to see first, you're going to set the tone for your entire life of health. You know, you'd be, you'd have a lot easier lifestyle and make three times as much money, um, being a, being a specialist. And, you know, it's easier to focus on one little small aspect of medicine than it is to try to take care of everything. So I think you're going to see a reversal of some of the payment systems in the future because they're, they're realizing that, you know, for cost containment, patient care, everything else that it all starts and ends with the primary care doctor. Um, and we need the other ones. I'm not saying that, but we need a much stronger, uh, better reimbursed primary care system because otherwise you're going to get burned out doctors and nobody's going to want to go into that aspect of it. So do, do you um, think that can happen? Like, do you think yeah. the system can yeah. set up a situation where, you know, we, we've often called primary care, the primary care physicians, the quarterbacks of the, of the, of the whole thing. Um, do right. you think, do you think that's going to happen where we set up a, yeah, I think so. The primary care doctor is a quarterback. Usually the quarterback's the highest paid person on the team. In this case it's by far the least paid person. Um, so you got to look at, at that also but yeah i think i think it is getting back around to that because uh the system can't um continue to uh bankrupt itself um so a lot of it depends on who's in power you know and who has the time to focus on some of those those uh non-clinical aspects of medicine mm. and uh, yeah i think it's starting to turn around a little bit but 
again, the system is so powerful. It's unbelievable. Too many lobbyists. You know, the, the amount of the health care dollars spent on, you know, the providers and, and actual care of the patients way low. You know, most of it's spent on administration. And that's bankrupting the system. We can't afford it. And that's kind of, I, I think, going back to what you what you coined defensive medicine, you know, I think it, all that kind of leads to defense in a way. And, and really it seems like, you know, from a patient care standpoint, you know, you need to be on offense, you know, um, if you're doing things with a defensive, uh, mindset, um, I think that's why, you know, so many people are on so many medications and they don't know why and, um, and so forth. But, um, but man, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take any more of your time. This is, you know, I, I know this is a Saturday when we're recording. Um, but I do want to say, man, you know, performance medicine is outside the box. Uh, Dr. Rogers, you yourself are outside the box, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, I'm very, um, very proud of what performance medicine has done and will continue to do. And, you know, you going outside the box is a uh, really, you know, the, the, uh, I guess it's the inspiration behind uh, where we're taking some of these shows um, to the people out there. I'm, I'm so excited about um, getting outside the box um, as our new podcast and, and doing all the things underneath that umbrella that we're going to do. Um, and, and Dr. Rogers, you're, you're the inspiration for it. And, um, and I'm really uh, thankful uh, that performance medicine exists. As I always tell um, everybody, you know, we think more performance medicines need to exist whether they're called performance medicine or something else, uh, we think this type of medicine needs to be more common, uh, not less common. So, uh, so Dr. Rogers, thank you for your time. Uh, I'm going to let you go. And uh, this has been a wonderful show. I think a lot of people are going to get so much value out of listening to this. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. We'll talk to you later. All right. See you guys. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.